Welcome to the Cinegirl podcast. I'm Fran. And I'm Bryony. And this is a podcast where we talk about film and TV and the way it reflects different topics. My pronouns are she, her. And my pronouns are also she and her. And we're just so excited about our guest today and our topic choice. Uh, today we have Leo Anna Thomas. Yeah, and yes, we're going to be discussing mental health on and off sets, uh, which I'm really excited about. We're going to be talking about uh, raising mental health awareness and understanding the kind of duty of care that is required when at work in the film and TV industry. I think this is such an important topic and I'm really, really excited to have Leo with us today. Uh, just to give a little bit of a background, Leo Anna Thomas has worked with the art and props department for 19 years for film, television, theatre and live immersive events. Uh, they've covered roles such as assistant art director, standby art director, prop maker, painter, PA and art department coordinator. And Leo is also a fully certified mental health first aider and works hard to make this known on set to help raise mental health awareness in film. Uh, Leo is currently working as a wellbeing facilitator and is co-director at Six Foot From the Spotlight. Six Foot From the Spotlight is a non-profit community interest company set up with the sole aim of improving the mental well-being of music and film crew in the UK. Let's give a warm welcome to Leo. Hello, hello. <laughs> Thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really, I've been listening to your podcast and I've been really inspired. So I'm looking forward to seeing the growth of these podcasts. So thanks for having me as a guest. Oh, thanks so much. That's lovely. And how are you doing today? I'm good. I went for a run this morning. Uh, <laughs> I braved the, the, uh, the stormy weather and the wind. Uh, I had to run around a few trees. But um, going away. a few fallen trees. And I find it really refreshing. Just uh I mentioned this to Fran the other day, just running or being out or just walking in this weather mm. when feeling a bit stressed or a bit anxious is really lovely. It just like blows it away from you and it's like the force of the wind. It's oh, really, yeah. really, really invigorating. I've never yeah. thought of it like that actually, because I, I feel like it does the opposite for me. Like the sound of wind makes me really stressed. I don't know why. <laughs> Like the metaphor of blowing the cobwebs away, getting blowing the fog through your your brain. I kind of found it. I find it only recently. I'm trying to embrace this weather. So. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good way to look at it. Instead of just like the other day, I had the day off on Friday, and it was when the full Eunice was in action, and I was like, <laughs> I am not going outside. I just trapped myself in the flat all day, and I just felt rubbish for it. And actually, I probably should have just yeah. Well, Small, small doses of it, and uh, I enjoyed watching the planes land. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, I think we all watched that same video on loop. Well, yeah. I did. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. I live really near Heathrow as well, so I was like, you could, I could actually see the planes like landing from here, and just watching them in the wind. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, scary. Um, so yeah, I mean, this ties in very well with mental health and and your role. So you're a well-being facilitator which is a really recent role. Um, and if you could just maybe please explain to us a little bit what exactly your role is. Yeah, it is a recent role um, for many, and some people still haven't really heard of it before. Um, it's not a recent role in my mind because it was something that popped up in a little kind of seed of an idea uh, back in 2000 and. 13 so it's okay it's, wow. it's gradually grown 
into fruition. But um, I'll work backwards. The main premise of this role is is to basically be a, a neutral third party on set and in the offices or in the workshops or on stages in film and TV um, to help production, collaborate with production, to help them meet their duty of care, their legal duty of care, I should say, to making sure that those who are working on sets, uh, freelancers, are kept mentally safe and looked after uh, while they're while they're working such long hours. And also we're trying to help collaborate with producers to minimise those hours and minimise those tight schedules, um, which causes a lot of issues in the industry, a lot of the bullying and harassment. Yes. And a lot of pressures that people face. I kind mm-hmm. of, I thought about this recently, about working backwards, looking at the issues that take place and then why they happen. So if you're if you're bullying someone or you're feeling or you don't even know you're bullying someone, but you're under pressure, that, where's that pressure coming from? And the pressure's coming from the tight hours and the long schedule. So it's like you have to adjust that. So if it's kind of so we kind of go in and help hopefully minimize those conditions that will then have a trickle uh effect all the way down to helping crew feel safer at work and um just being there also sounds not like a buddy but being there as that neutral third party just being there to help people offload and confidentially just air anything that might be stressing them out because a lot of the time people are just really frustrated (laughs) but I think it's that it's knowing that you can get support I think that makes already such a huge difference. I know it would for me. And I remember when I started, I just asked myself, because I came also from a corporate background. So I was used to working with these big organizations and there's always HR. There's always a department that deals with bullying, harassment, you know, anything, you know, problems at work. And then this industry had nothing. So mm. I... I always had, I mean, I thought I was being weird, like thinking, oh, Fran, come on. I mean, why should there be, you know, someone like an HR figure on set? And there isn't. The only one I could think of was first AD maybe, but then you don't always want to go to them and it's not really their role, is it? So It's not, it's not their role and they're underneath immense pressure to, to meet the deadline and to fit so much into a day that before we've even turned over. I've been in so many production meetings where before we've even turned over, they have scheduled overtime in wow. and they've scheduled knowing that they're going to go over because they can't fit it in. And it's, you know, I'm learning the business side of this more and more during this work. Yeah. And that just to me sounds so just, I just can't get my head around why that would even be planned in. It's just yeah. so, everyone's just so stressed from the very beginning. So yeah, there, there are, there are companies that place mental health first aiders and we did go through kind of uh a phase of like recognizing that you know productions would place a mental health first aider and think that that was that was it job done yes. policy sorted but those people are under so much pressure themselves and uh the second job i did as a well-being facilitator the three crew who were trained as also mental health first aiders were the first to come to me with issues and with stress and they were in tears and, and couldn't handle the pressure so a well-being facilitator can kind of act as like a HOD to those who are already trained on set mm-hmm. um, and give them space and support. And I'll just quickly add right now as well, also the well-being facilitator has full um, supervision. So six feet from the spotlight, we have access to supervision and positive psychologist and any any possible clinical help or advice. So we have a duty of care when we place well-being facilitators. Yes. Yeah. Can I ask you as well a bit about... Um about your training for the role like what kind of stuff 
did you have to yeah. do? What, what does it entail? Yeah, so it's there. There, it's growing, it's changing, and mm-hmm. it will always evolve. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's always there are new things that we're learning. There are areas we realise we've missed, so it will always expand. We cover mental health first aid, which is fully accredited. I act managing, which is fully accredited. And then we also cover the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974, the Equality Act 2010. So we we kind of teach the aspects of what they what those sort they what they mean and what yeah. to keep an eye out for. We cover employment law, writing and developing stress mental health risk assessments, ethics, how to have an ethical working balance, uh, boundaries, how to uh, just keep an eye on your own boundaries when you're doing this role because it can be quite demanding emotionally. Yeah. So it's a new role, the tap is open. So people, it's like a floodgates are open for a lot of these stories. So it's kind of making sure that you're keeping yourself safe. And um, intervention skills, that are all evidence-based. So everything that we teach and train is all evidence-based and kind of caring and making sure you've got your own resilience looked after as well as knowing how to help someone and coach someone to build their own resilience for themselves and to empower somebody and to help crew and cast move forward in their productions until this role becomes mandatory you won't have a well-being facilitator in every production so if you you can help empower somebody to take these skills and awareness with them gradually you'll break that that systemic fear of speaking up to a producer or the hierarchies that's another major thing as well is teaching how we coach people to move forward successfully and and safely. Uh, so the, this, I think, ties in well with the recent announcement from the BFI, which is really exciting. It's yeah. everywhere. So first of all, yeah, well done for that to you and your team. Oh, it's, it's been a long journey to get to mm. this point, not just coming up with some sort of conversation and idea so many years ago, but for it to develop to this. Um, yeah, the recent news on February 2nd, BFI went public saying that they will be funding the training of wellbeing facilitators and also placing wellbeing facilitators on all of their productions moving forward. I mean, this is a big, uh, massive improvement. This is, yeah. Yeah, it's a massive step. And it's and it's it's one that we, we started talking to BFI at the end of 2019. Um, Jen Smith is the head of diversity at BFI. And she was the first kind of point of contact to build that conversation. And then in January 2020, I met with Jen and uh, a few other people at BFI to discuss what this role was because they didn't know. So I basically went in and just kind of just let them know what it was and what it could do. Yeah. And we were about to go on to a production to trial it, but then COVID came along and as with everything, just shut everything down. So we... Thanks, COVID. Thanks, COVID. Yes. But, no, but, but also, really seriously, thanks, COVID, because yeah, it's been a strange silver lining. And of course, it's been horrendous financially for freelancers and globally, just everybody's mental health and life has changed. But we had built this role years before and and just like in the year of 2018 19 we were building it like figuring out how to put all the aspects together to train people so we were trying to get onto people's radars then and it was very difficult and then 
COVID happened and everybody everybody's at the home on their computers. So we were able to have more meetings and we were able to get the attention and give some presentations. And I think everything randomly, wonderfully fell into place and it opened up people's, I think, eyes to the serious issues that are taking place in the industry and everyone was feeling it globally and it was like a universal feeling. So I think it really hit everyone's core and attention. So it kind of, yeah, it's been a strange, wonderful experience and I'm just so proud that we were ready to hit the ball rolling basically. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think it takes a lot for change to happen in the industry. Um and it also takes a lot of courage, I think, uh, because I don't know, there's so, there's something about, yes, we want to do the right thing for the right reasons. But then when you boil down to it, there's only a handful of organizations that really do make start making a change. And I don't know where that fear comes from. But um, I mean, the reason why I mention this is because actually yesterday I was looking at this massive organization, which I'm not going to tell the name, but it's it's like everyone knows it. OK. And they have just released a whole um, list of apprenticeships and schemes and people can apply for them. And on their website, under this apprenticeship, was a little section around the expectations of working on set. And it said, whilst um, your contract will be around 35 hours a week, it's expected for you to work at least 55 hours and sometimes more. And they were sort of really normalizing this long hours. And I think, hold on a minute, just like a month ago, you were promoting mental health and now you're writing this for your apprenticeships. Like, wow. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. How, how have you found that? I mean, having these conversations with these big organizations, I mean, of course, BFI is great. They took this on board and they, they're doing something, but I mean, I'm sure you've had obstacles and, Oh, I've had, yeah, we've had many, many naysayers, which only ignite me to want to move forward even faster and heavier. And to be fair, we've had, we've had productions who just don't understand it. So we, we need to have the conversation and let them know what it is and then show it. So that's why we're in like the pilot phase now of like, let us just show you. And then it will speak for itself. I'm shocked by what you just said, Fran. I really want to know what the company is, but it's, um, (laughs) I, I always try and, kind of mentioned to producers like what I said at the top of this conversation a lot of the issues that caused from people working too many long hours and Mm. tight schedules because I don't know a star has a tight schedule for a project from their agent and they've got it tied into something else and they've got to move on so that's an issue as well but basically just you know always kind of going in and saying put an extra week on the schedule and people's faces look like I've like just (laughs) <laughs> you see the blood draining draining from their face and it i'm trying to figure out now statistically and monetarily monetarily is that even a word Mon- yeah monetary yeah to just show how much money they'll save if they can do something like this and so yeah. learning the language of who needs to hear the numbers and who needs to who actually understands the kind of more emotive caring side of it if that makes sense yes yeah, I think um, it feels like it's such a sort of it's such a systemic thing as well in the way that like like me and Fran we both went to um, the same film school. Um, mm-hmm. We weren't there at the same time, but that's how we met. And I don't know about you, Fran, but I remember kind of whenever we did we were on set at the time. Like it was always just expected that it would be a really, really unrealistically long day. 
that's what the students were taught. Like, you know, if you do, if you yeah. don't accept for a day, this yeah. is going to be a really long and tiring and draining day. And you just kind of had to accept that if you wanted to work in the film industry. And I kind of think if you're teaching that to students, that that's the expectation that everyone's going to have. Mm. And, you know, it's just nothing's changing because it's like yeah. setting that precedent so early on for people when actually that should be questioned, you know, and like what your role is doing, Leo, saying actually, no, this isn't really OK. And there are ways that we can. Yeah, it's coming yeah. in at an educational level is really vital as well as trying to change those at the top. It's yeah. like stream ends of this have to change and then me in the middle kind of thing. Mm. It gets really frustrating because the answer is seems to me so simple and yet it's still not happening. And it's, you know, there's no money in the budget. Like this is a really extremely wealthy industry. There is money yeah. Um, yeah. and it's just going to the wrong places. So it's really frustrating sometimes. And then I have to kind of take a breath, <laughs> use one of these evidence-based skills on myself yeah. and, and see if we can come in it from another angle and just use Use kindness coming into this because coming in demanding this, demanding that, it's just, you know, that's not the way we work. It's trying to show the evidence and the statistics and be kind and aware about it and show the physical role itself working. Because that's normally what changes people's minds. They're now like, wow, we're never doing a production again without you guys. Yeah. Um, when before they were hesitant. So it's the more opportunities we get the better it will be. So having this amazing opportunity via collaboration with BFI, any line producer, any other production companies that come in to get the funding at BFI and then have us placed on their production, they'll move on to another production without the BFI and then hopefully hopefully, we then take this initiative and take this work with them. And that's how it will kind of spread across the injury. Uh, injury? Spread across the industry. The industry, yeah, which has an injury. (laughs) Freudian slip there. (laughs) So do you have any tips or advice around mental health for crew members, particularly when they, you know, finish a long period of shooting? And I know there's that sense of, you know, family, that people feel they're working together and then suddenly... You know, you finish, you wrap and you've, you know, that stress just hits you. I think we've all been there. So um, does that happen as well? Like offset, like, you know, once you finished? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I know from personal experience doing, doing being in the industry for nearly 20 years, it took me years to find the balance. Sometimes I have moments where I feel like I haven't found it even though I'm like mentally aware that after each production, personally, my own tips that I I do for myself and everyone's got their own, their own with them, their own kind of set of tools with them is to understand, I think, the balance of what it is that you need. And that could be anything as simple as I'm going to have just walk in the park or I'm going to sit and have a duvet day or I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to be with my friends or I'm going to meditate. It's it's kind of making sure that you're staying in touch with life outside of the industry when you're when you're working. So it's still there when you're not working. Mm-hmm. So it's not such a dramatic shift. I mean, I know I struggled because first few times on set, I was just like, this is a beautiful family. This is such a lovely experience. And, you know, there were also not very nice experiences. But in terms of art department, I always felt very like 95% cared for and like a little family was there. And then suddenly everyone's gone. Yeah, it's it can be hard, and this is 
this is another aspect that we've dependent on the budget of a contract we go on to we say that we have we'd like to do at least up to two weeks of aftercare so the crew and cast uh have access to a well-being facilitator two weeks up to two weeks from wrap in case they want to talk or they need signposting it's great sometimes we set up a whatsapp well-being group that is dependent on the production because i know so many i know when i've done standby i've been on like seven whatsapp groups and it just is so overwhelming so that kind of Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't to set up a well-being group, but that acts as like a peer support and that runs after the production so people stay in touch mm-hmm. and you can help each other out and hear each other's stories and feel less like it's suddenly away from everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really nice idea. I like that. Yeah. You know, I did two weeks of aftercare on a job last year and I think twice a week I sent a message just saying, still here, hope you're doing well. <laughs> sent some links to well-being tips and kind of kept it in people's minds and some people reacted some people didn't but it's just there and I think I think you said it yourself Brian at the beginning it's just having a role there even if you don't use it is a I've had so many people come up to me and be like oh I didn't use you but I felt really calmer knowing that somebody was there if I wanted to um, I have no idea if I've answered your question I've kind of kind of gone off on a ramble there yeah no 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 it's fine <laughs> it's all good <laughs> I mean, do you, what, what's your, what's both your experiences, if I may ask, like coming out from a busy production, whether it's or a busy job, and then you're just completely out of that loop? What is it that you do to look after yourselves? And you go first. You have a lot more experience on yeah. than I do. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, for me, it's um, I just I never like I never um, thought about it. I never acknowledged it. I never recognize that that's what I was experiencing. I I remember, I know that, you know, when I come off set, I'm extremely exhausted and I have all these things I have to do because you almost feel guilty that you've been working. There's like a guilt thing. So you do, gosh, you know, I've been working, so I I couldn't look after all these other things. So you end up really, uh, you know, doing a lot more instead of taking those couple of days off. And because there is that, you know, freelance uncertainty, you then have to keep working to get the next job and the next project. And you kind of have to keep thinking, you know, afterwards. For me, I think the whole thing, maybe the whole experience is slightly augmented because obviously I have children. But again, you know, I talk to a lot of friends and they're really happy with, you know, how they work on set and, you know, they earn great money and everything and the life. But most of them don't have children. So yeah. it's like, you'll conv- you know, you're, you're, opinion is fine but what what are you going to do when you know because obviously I talk to them and some of them say they want to have a family or they want to buy a house I mean these are all things that nobody really discusses in the industry Mm -hmm. the only people I've ever met that are women that are very successful and are working on set as HOD are women that come from extremely extremely privileged backgrounds or um, you know, so they don't have to worry about certain things or you know mum and dad live down the road so they can help with the the kids so for me there's the whole other sort of parenting side that it's just not being addressed and and that's also mental health yeah um and but now that I feel I'm more informed now and I think I could definitely spot you know any anxieties any burnouts that I would have if I was you know going back on set now um yeah for sure I mean I have met people obviously that are HOD successful without coming from privileged backgrounds but it is a handful compared to absolutely any others I've met I mean it's literally just 
two or three that I can think of. Everyone else has either a, you know, a partner who has a sort of like, you know, an office job or mm. they never had to worry about houses because maybe they inherited it or yeah. help with something. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really, I think, I think you're right. I think COVID has definitely changed things. Um, and I think now it's not a trend anymore. I'm so happy to see, you know, your role, your company, BFI, because I sort of, you know, I was kind of worried that in the pandemic, we all started becoming activists, right? Yeah. It was like everyone was an activist <laughs> for yeah. something. Um, and then you feel, well, is, is that is that a trend? You know, you start looking at, you know, the algorithms and the sort of the insights of certain social media trends and things sort of slow down. But but I feel for this matter, it hasn't. If, if anything, it just kept building and, 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 and getting stronger and uh, well done, Leo and and your team for not for not giving up, for being persistent and and doing something about it. So yeah, <laughs> thank you. It's um, I think social media has really helped. I think um, sorry, I know you've not answered the question yet, uh, Bryony, but uh, just just to quickly add to what Brian just said, the stories coming forward and people being honest. It's so loud that voice now that you can't ignore it. So it can't just be a trend. It can't. You know, I know that when, um, you know, when George Floyd was murdered and there was a kind of fear that this huge, wonderful support that was global for Black Lives Matter, that, they, it would, you know, there was a lot of campaigning on this still happens. Don't let it just be a social trend for like a couple of months. Yeah, It's important to return to the roots of these issues, whatever they are, and important to keep the voice going, even if it's slightly dims down because it's not on the front page anymore but just yeah never stop having that voice because that's when they win and they being whatever it is that is someone who's being an activist uh, and raising concern about is just not not shutting up basically (laughs) and it's just and reminding people that things still need to change and it tests so much patience because it's so glacial this work Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's important to keep it going. Any sort of anxiety or, or or pressures that I feel and that I see people around me feel is is you know we feel it in our bodies first. Well, our bodies will have like you know you might start having shallow breathing or your chest might feel tight or you you can't yeah. concentrate. Your memory's terrible. Just that's when it's the smallest thing. If anyone's feeling that way, and if you're feeling that way after a job or before a job or in a job. It really is. There's no kind of right or wrong answer as to what will help dissipate that. And I think getting out in nature or like going out in the wind, like I said at the beginning, and just <laughs> yes. stepping out in something that simple could really just be all that it takes. Obviously, there's another end to this where people have chemical imbalances and mental health can get very severe. And that's when we sign post or when we say, you know, definitely in some cases, you can call 999. Yeah, it's kind of interesting for me, like hearing, you know, we have all these conversations that we have on the podcast. It's always with people, you know, we, we're always talking about being on set. And for me, I have quite a different experience because I'm a writer. So I kind of don't have the same experience of being on sets. But I think hearing about this role, you know, even for me, I think it's so, so useful for writers because I do think it's such a solitary career and kind of hearing that there are people around, there is someone 
that you know you can turn to if you're if you're struggling even if you may not be on the set yourself yeah um, I think that's really important I was going to ask you actually like do you do any work with how does your role work is it is it just for people on set or do you kind of have involvement with people that are like tied to the production I'm pleased you asked that question because I literally wrote down um when you when you said that you're not on set that much but there are so many people that aren't mm. initially because my own experience is being directly on set that was where I focused this kind of started to focus where this role could go and gradually over time listened to a lot of people and started to realize myself that you know there are hundreds of people who don't come on set who still are playing vital positions in in the creation of a tv show or a film even once the cameras aren't rolling anymore there's still a huge amount of work afterwards in the editor or in in the music or you know advertising whatever so this role is that neutral third party, but also is a crew member to a certain degree and will be on set and will be in offices or in workshops. And the way we kind of determine how best to place a wellbeing facilitator is the use of writing a mental health um, stress risk assessment. And what I mean by that is we get scripts and if there's anything particularly triggering or possibly triggering, could be an abusive scene, could be... Uh, it could be a working in a location that could be triggering. So we basically, from the from the strip, from the risk assessments, we know what days where to be. And so when there might be a quieter day on set, spend the day in the offices. Now we so used to being on Zoom. Some departments are entirely remote. I worked on a job where the entire accounts department I never met, and there were a few issues that I was on phone calls and helping people who I'd never met. So they yeah. were on their own at home. So it's it really is across the board dependent on where the role may be needed most so we're listening and observing the production and uh, it being signposted as to who or what department or where might need the most support really yeah I guess that's something that Covid has helped with as well isn't it just in terms of you know how much more we are now working remotely it's yeah. kind of created that opportunity for people to talk about that more and and to find ways to connect with people even if they're not physically there yeah, and there's still, yeah. there's still stresses with working remotely could be very lonely. Mm-hmm. It's hard to like, actually balance out your day and like actually make sure you go and have a break. Sometimes yeah. people are working even longer because they're not switching off. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's harder sometimes to do. Um, or you're at home and you've got kids screaming around you and you've got to come after them, so it's a balance. Um, if you're on set, I mean, I, I just want to share one more tip, actually. My last standby role that I've done so far was in 2019, and I was warned away from this job by a number of people because of it, certain people in it renowned for being difficult to work with. So I took a moment to sit and think, what am I putting myself into? And if, if this is kind of showing this, it, it might help people. I don't know. To sit and think, why am I doing this job? What do I want from this job? Are there any red flags already? And that doesn't mean you don't have to take the job, just be aware of it. And what I kind of said to myself was a three strikes and you're out rule that if anybody, anybody at all, at any level, in front or behind the camera, was rude to me or rude to someone else or acting completely unprofessional, that that would be the first strike. And I would try to find a time to speak to that person. And either if it it was personal to me, explain that that's not on or seeing it from someone else and also saying that's not on. Second time, if I ever saw it or experienced it, I would make a formal complaint to production and let my HOD know. Um, 
And if it happened a third time, would walk away from the job right there, tools down, leave the set. I got to one and a half strikes with this particular person and it was it was still a little bit stressful, but it also made me feel really confident and empowered to know that I know my boundaries yes. and, and yeah. I will walk away if we reach this point. It was still hard and it's not easy to implement, but something in me just made me feel a bit more grounded and safer in myself. That was an eye-opener. So I don't know if people, if they can take that with them, that might help. Yeah, I think that's really useful. I have a similar thing myself, actually. Um, it's with a with a job, that I, if I start it and I already sort of feel very stressed or kind of anxious about it for whatever reason, I do, I sort of always say to myself, I'll give myself three three days to, right. not not as in like three days and then if I don't like it, I quit. But kind of like, if I'm still feeling this way after three days, then I will think about whether this is something I actually want to do. And I think I've never actually been like, okay, I I don't want to do this. But I think it just helps me to balance. It's it's giving myself that control of, okay, I don't actually have to be here. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay, I am in control of the situation, not the people that are employing me. Yeah. And I get to say whether or not I actually am comfortable doing this and it's something that I want to do. That's brilliant. Yeah, it really, really helps. It helps with the mentality so much when I, you know, because I do a lot of freelance roles. And if there are things that I take that maybe I'm not too sure on, it just really helps to keep me balanced and grounded and kind of control that anxiety. That's really inspiring to hear. And it's 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 easier said than done sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a feeling that is kind of a primal protectiveness for your own vulnerability and that you have a choice. Um and I know that everyone's in different circumstances with possibly, you know, we don't know what everyone's circumstances are. You could be, like like Fran mentioned, you could be really wealthy or very privileged. You could be yeah, literally you need to pay your rent, so you have to stay. So it's, <clears throat> yeah. It changes. But I mean, I think, I mean, the, the thing is that actually I was reading a, an article on LinkedIn the other day. They said that, you know, among, throughout the pandemic and even now there's more people that have quit their jobs. And it's quite um, I I struggled to wrap my head around it, but then once I read the article, it made sense because obviously the economy and all the issues we've been having, why would people leave their jobs? But actually, because of the whole mental health um, has mm. sort of, you know, uh, started um, surfacing, and now they're introducing the four day week in Belgium, and oh. <laughs> but they also introduced now here a trial um, in the UK for about a year. They've already um, started it last month. And it will end, was um, it, did they do it six months or 10 months? I can't remember. And then if it works, and it seems like it does work because the other countries are already implementing it, you know, Iceland, parts of Scandinavia, Belgium and other places. So, wow. you know, because you can do so much and in four days a week, you don't need five. And yeah. You work a lot better because you feel less anxious. You feel, you know, I go to work and then I start thinking, oh God, I have to do that for my kids. Oh no, I've put, you know, you just you just not don't stop. Whereas, you know, having that ability, that time, I mean, the fact is that we just made our, our lives so packed and, and, and congested that we've run out of time to do things. And so we rush, but we are the first ones that decided around those times. So, yeah. you know, it comes back to the 35 hours a week and not 55 or 80 yeah. hours that we you know. No one said it has to be 55 hours. It can work with 35 hours and it can even yep. work with 20 hours. And 
you know, how, know. everyone's different. Everyone works at a different pace. So um I know who who said the working week was nine to five or like like people work at different I like I like starting work yeah. around nine thirty ten and I'll work a bit later because yeah. I'm not really a morning person. So it it everyone's different and it's yeah. that's so amazing about Belgium. I I didn't know that the UK were also trying it. I remember someone mentioning to me that there was a film made twice. Have you heard of this? And uh, it, there was a film made twice, I think, French, where one version was the, the way we all know, working the long hours, working the six days, and then did it again with like a five-day week or a four-day week and reduced hours and mm-hmm. kind of monitored the outcome and, and how people were. Does this ring a bell? Doesn't, but I definitely want to find out more now. Yeah, <laughs> too. I'm like really curious. <laughs> it happened. I can't remember where. I know it was a foreign film, but it, I, I don't know how. Yeah, you Google that film made twice or something. I meant to do it, but but the outcome was the four day week was more successful and uh, yeah. a lot more relationships were built and safer. <laughs> Continuing in our mental health, you know, awareness discussion and all the things that we're talking about now, um, I want to ask you something a bit more personal. And I wanted to ask you, what are your experiences as a queer and recently non-binary crew member? How has the industry responded? Oh, I love this question. Thank you for putting it in the, putting it in the chat. Um, yeah, I'm recently non-binary. So my pronouns, I meant to say this at the very top, are they them? But I also, <laughs> it fluctuates. It fluctuates because I do, I, people do refer to me as she and her and I don't correct them yet because I also feel like I, I'm biologically female. I don't want to be male. So I don't use he and him pronouns, but I don't feel like she and her. So at the same time, I just use they and them. But even then I don't feel like that. So it really depends. <laughs> it really depends on situation. It depends on being reminded that I am female with the biological uh, menstruation. So depending on the time of the month as to what my attitude feels like. Yes. Um, and that's stressful. But the first time I put they, them on my email signature was in 2019. And I had one person come up to me. I think he was, he was the assistant writer, I think. And he was so excited. He was like, I've never seen that before. And I'm really happy. I think I'm going to put what my my pronouns are on my email. And some people ask questions and that's great because that's how we're going to learn if we don't ask. Other people just don't get it. So depending on my mood again, I will either explain it to them or just be like, you work it out. Like it's not here, I'm not here to explain that for you. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, I do explain it. It all depends. I get misgendered all the time. And sometimes I like it when I get called sir or I get called dude a lot or mate and sometimes I like it and it's fine and other times I pick people up on it uh so it's a kind of fluctuating thing I've been very much I don't think I've had a negative directly negative experience of being a queer woman queer human queer crew member (laughs) in the industry I just welcome the questions and welcome people just thinking outside the box a little bit I think that's what we all, that's how we all grow. And this industry needs more of that, not just for gender, but race and, you know, neurodivergency and everything. I mean, I just I like confusing people. That's probably what it is, confusing people. 
<laughs> confuse the patriarchy. I love that though. I love, you know, I love that you're, you know, so open to, to questions and discussions. So I think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the key, isn't it? Really? There are so many people that I think do have good intentions, but I don't know, maybe, maybe they're a bit afraid to. Yeah. Ask. And I get it. I get it. It's like, some people get uncomfortable and then I'm uncomfortable and then I like, apologize for them. And I'm like, it's cause I'm uncomfortable. And it's like, actually none of us should be feeling uncomfortable. And it's, yeah, it's um just shaking it up a little bit and just keeps people on their toes just to have a conversation and learn. And um, I'd much rather have someone stumble on their words, trying to ask me a question about it, than ignore it and act strange towards me, you know? Yeah, for sure. Do you find that people, do people ask questions about it on set or have you not had much experience? Um, not really and I I don't have many non-binary kind of tribe in my life so I I, I trip up sometimes when I'm talking about somebody who's non-binary and then I'll say she and him and I'll, uh, and you know and just apologize and then go back and it's it is a language that will take time to to kind of digest into people's way of thinking so yeah, thank you so much, um, Leo, for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your experiences, your insights, your kindness. It's yeah. really refreshing to meet someone like yourself, you know, your project, the people you work with, what um, you stand for, the changes you want to make. And we are just really, really happy and honoured to have you today with us and our community will absolutely love hearing this podcast so thank you very much thank you thank you very much and thank you to both of you for uh Sinigel and anyone else who works with you to create this it's an incredible project that you're also developing and spreading news and awareness so thank you for what you do and thank you for having me oh thanks Leo